In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, They were very Presbyterian, very conservative, and they hated Catholics. And so we weren't accepted by my grandmother, particularly. She was more vocal about it. As soon as you walked in on the piano, there were photos of all the family and their weddings, and, and there was a photo of our parents' wedding, but our mother was cut out of it, just sort of shredded out of it, and that, that set the tone for us. We sort of didn't feel very welcome. Well, I do believe my mother is anti-Catholic, for reasons I, I don't know. When I told her I was marrying Margaret, she was, um, I think, initially a little distressed. And indeed, when you told her that we were expecting a baby, do you remember that? And she said, oh, no, and burst into tears. In those days, you were either public or a Catholic. And in those days, the Catholic kids wore brown shoes to school and the publics wore black. And she asked my son, who was just five, has Mummy bought your school shoes yet? And I knew what she meant. Did Mummy buy you black shoes or brown shoes? Not say, what school are you going to? I thought that was horrific to ask a young child, five-year-old, that. The nuns used to tell us if you weren't a Catholic, you wouldn't go to heaven when you died. I piped up, I think I was only in first class, and I said, but my mother's not a Catholic. And she said, well, she'll go to hell when she died. I must have really got very cranky because I was put outside the door and I said my mother will go to heaven because I'm going to see her there because everyone promised me that (laughs) and she said no she won't and I went home and I told mum she said God decides that and I went back the next day and I told sister Saline God decides your mother will burn in hell for all eternity Growing up in Australia in the ambiguous half-world of a mixed marriage required a delicate balancing act. It was the experience of one in five families until the 1970s, a pre-multicultural age when the country was polarised between just two groups, Catholics and Protestants. Children struggled to reconcile opposing beliefs and cultures. One girl felt like a spiritual half-breed, Oh, we were slapped into a state school and um, he would say that we had been brainwashed and the Catholics had brainwashed us and he was... He didn't say he was going to knock that out of us but that's basically what he was trying to do. And in those days you didn't eat meat on a Friday and so he tried to get us to eat meat on a Friday and we wouldn't and that got him quite angry. We went to church every Sunday. This is the 60s where you still wore your mantilla. And I remember being embarrassed that you get to the church, which was St Michael's at Hurstville, 
and that we'd go there and there'd be my sister and I and dad and that you'd see all the other people from school and it was the mother, the father and the children. And sometimes kids who didn't know would go, where's your mother? Sometimes when I get home, she was, had coffee and she was reading the Sunday paper, seemed kind of really sinful and bad, like that that compounded the fact that she wasn't there. Irish Catholics were Australia's first ethnic minority, battling discrimination and opprobrium from the Protestant establishment. To a beleaguered Catholic church, mixed marriage threatened to undermine the faith, as priests like Father William Crohan were well aware. Of course... You put milk into the water, or water into the milk, and it gradually dilutes the faith, or there's a danger of dilution. And that's perhaps one of the reasons why the church is against mixed marriages, you could say. But no church could stop people falling in love. Who cared about religious differences, tribal loyalties to Ireland or England, centuries of colonial oppression, or even hostile families? My father came from Sydney, a Protestant family who lived in Dremoyne. I think they were Anglican. He was an industrial chemist. When he moved to Melbourne, was working in Melbourne, and that's where he met my mother because they were both living in the same boarding house. But my mother came from Ballarat, from a sort of pub-owning family. Her mother owned a hotel. Her father died when she was very young. So that was a very Catholic family. My aunt says they were very much in love when they were first married. But I think they must have both been quite lonely in a boarding house, both away from their families. My father was a Catholic and a strong Catholic. My mother came from a staunch Presbyterian family and also her mother was in the Orange Lodge and very, very strong and anti-Catholic. Any other religion they could tolerate, but not Catholics. So they eloped. I know my mother was Irish Catholic. Her mother was Anglican. Her father was an Irish immigrant, I think. They were orchardists, and she grew up on an orchard down in Victoria. My father came from a very Presbyterian family. He was one of, I think it was ten children, and they were farmers. And in those days, people went to dances and my mum clapped eyes on my dad and she never looked at another man after that, apparently. She thought he was just divine and he was a very good-looking man. And she was apparently very, very beautiful too. And they were married in wartime, about 1939 or something like that. They were both 23. My mother's name was Florence Eileen Duffy and the other man, uh, he was born here in Australia, but he's... His father came from Shropshire in England. His uh, family are not very happy about him marrying a Catholic. Other man Duffy didn't seem to mind so long as uh, they got married in a Catholic church. But the first surprise came when my mother told him that because he was a Protestant, he couldn't be married in front of the altar. Had to be married around the side of the altar. So before the church ceremony, my father went round and saw the priest, gave him five quid and said, make this as fast as possible. Get it over and done with quick. So that's what he did. He said it was the fastest wedding they'd ever seen.
Contrary to Protestant paranoia, the Catholic Church did not seek to convert those who courted Catholics. The odd proselytizing priest may have had a go, but not very successfully. A 1966 survey found that only about 4% of spouses in a mixed marriage switched faith, and of these, more became Protestant. That's not to say that the Catholic Church wasn't out to save souls. The real battlefield was over the children. We, the undersigned, hereby solemnly promise and engage that all the children of both sexes who may be born of our marriage shall be baptised in the Catholic Church and shall be carefully brought up in the knowledge and practice of the Catholic religion. When I started back in the 50s, both the Catholic and non-Catholic would have to sign that to say that they were going to bring the children up as Catholics. They'd both have to make the promise. If you could think about the people that you actually met and married in these mixed marriage situations, what was their frame of mind? Were they realistic about the issues? Well, two people in love... The last thing they're thinking about are the future, the, the children, the problems that they might have or anything. They're in love and they want to get married, that's it. The only time I recall a form was after the marriage ceremony itself in the vestry at the back of St Patrick's Cathedral in Melbourne where we were married. I had said to Ken I would marry him in the Catholic Church despite my upbringing because he said his mother would never speak to him again if he didn't marry in the Catholic Church. So I agreed, but only if any children we had would be Protestants, because I would not know how to bring up a child in the Catholic Church. But I signed, because, uh, I mean, we'd gone through the whole performance, and uh, I probably didn't think it had too much meaning for me, because I was a Methodist in my own mind, and to be signing a bit of paper in a Catholic church wouldn't have made any difference if it had been Calithopian. Well, we were married in the Catholic church. My husband was most agreeable to that. He loved me and he didn't want to lose me, I guess. <laughs> but the most horrifying thing to me, my husband had to sign a document to say that he would bring any children that we had up as Catholics. I thought that was such an imposition to ask someone to do that. Fortunately, my husband and I both agreed that children did need some religion and some guidelines, and he thought the mother is the one who has the most time with the children and has the most influence over them during those formative years, that he was more than happy for them to be christened Catholics and to be brought up as Catholics. Mother of Christ, star of the sea, pray for the They got married here in Sydney, here in St Francis in Albion Street, Surrey Hills, and it was a Catholic church. And when I look back on it, I would say my father demanded that, and I doubt whether he would have married Mum if she hadn't have agreed to uh, get married in a Catholic church and bring the children up as Catholic. And I suppose this was a falling out then with her mother over that because she was dead against it. And as a result of that, my father and grandmother never spoke. And uh, every time we'd go from Bronte to Paddington to see my grandmother, 
my mother would say in the tram, now we won't talk about church or what you did at church this week, all right? They would sort of rip us about Jesus Christ and the cross and all this sort of thing. So on the way home in the tram, my mother would say, now, don't say anything to your father that what happens in Paddington. What happens in Paddington stays in Paddington. Yeah, mum, 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 yes, yes. St Joseph's at Newtown. She talked about them discussing should there be a problem at a birth of a child and a choice had to be made between saving the mother's life and the child and that she had to agree and that my father had to agree that the child's life would be saved over hers and she said she had a very big problem with that. She wouldn't agree to it. They left. My father said something like, you just agree with the priest. You just go, yeah, 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 yeah. You just agree with what they say and then you go and just do what you need to do. You know, don't you know that? But she was taking it all very literally and seriously so she said that was typical of an Irish Australian attitude to the church you go and you doff your hat and you say yes 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 and then you go out and you just go on with what you were going to do anyway I will not have the Pope telling me how to run my life but we promised Father Harrigan would bring up the children Catholic bloody priest you sound more like your mother every day first it's dirty drunken Irish then it's pig ignorant papists Look, I know my family don't treat you right, but if we bring them up Catholic, my mother will never want to see her grandchildren. And what about my family, if we go your way? Well, my brother went to the local public school and I went to the local Catholic primary school. My father wouldn't let him be raised as a Catholic. But then why would he have let you? Well, I guess because I was a girl. Well, you know what they were like then, you know. doesn't matter about the girls, really. I said to my mother, what church are you? He said, Church of Christ. I said, that's a very small church. How did you come to pick that? Well, he said, when I was a kid, they had the best picnics. Praise my soul, Allah, King of Heaven. But he said, when I joined the army, I was Church of England. Because he said, uh, it's better in the army to be Church of England, because that's what most of them are. There's nothing strict about it, you know. Don't tell them you're Methodist or Presbyterian or all that quirky stuff. Just Church of England, straight in, straight out. Because he was advising me. Because the arrangement that my mother and father came to was that all the girls would be brought up Catholics and uh, my father would decide what we were going to do. So I became Church of England because most of the kids at school were Church of England. And my sister became... Catholic. It was weird, me being there, and then over the road was my brother in the public school. Yeah, so we were not very close. Yeah, we hardly spoke to each other, really. My father would never come to my school. He would never take me there or pick me up or come to any speech days or anything like that. He just wouldn't have anything to do with it because it was a Catholic school. I think I found it more puzzling than hurtful, yeah. There'd be this dark kind of cloud over the house of my mother and I going off to Mass and coming back. So there was a definite kind of, you know, 
great disapproval happening. Remember girls, no meat on Friday. When my sister went to the conference, uh, after the first week, and she came home for dinner on Friday night, and she said, I can't eat meat on Friday. Oh, says my So my mother gets out a tin of salmon and opens it up, and my sister can have salmon. And my father said to me, this will put her to the test. He said, because we're having grilled chops, and she's going to be eating their salmon. We'll see how long this lasts. <laughs> The chops reportedly soon overcame religious devotion. Harry Griffith's father was a dance band musician and a nominal Protestant. But after seeing the carnage of World War I, he became a religious pragmatist. Now, my father, during the Great Depression, joined the Masons. I said, why'd you do that? Well, he said, I found out that Masons get preference when you go for work. You can see he's a practical man. And he said to me, that's the best religion of all. Good living people, and they do the right thing. Of course, he said, you have to understand the Catholics don't like them. So there we are. I said, I'm a Mason, your mother's a Catholic, and we get along just fine. My mother used to say to my father, give me the Masonic grip. She put her hand out, see? She said, I didn't feel anything. He said, but you're not supposed to. You're a Catholic. You wouldn't know what to look for. She said, well, tell me. He said, I'm not going to tell you. No. It's a Masonic secret. So every time my mother asked, give me the grip. And she'd try and work out what it was. She died, still not knowing. Because I don't think he ever gave it to her. <laughs> Some mixed marriages were harmonious, with religion a minor consideration. But for others, religious differences were symptomatic of a wider cultural and political chasm. In the white heat of first love, these issues could be glossed over. But once children arrived, broken promises and divided loyalties tore families apart. Anna grew up in rural Victoria in the 50s. My recollections are of a very tense family living in a little rented house. And I don't recall my parents ever sharing a room. And um, he was very antagonistic towards Catholics and Catholicism. We weren't allowed to talk to Catholic children. But in those days, there was a huge dividing line between Catholics and Protestants. You know, you'd be walking off to the swimming pool in a school group or something and you'd go past a Catholic school or, or you'd pass Catholic kids and all the Protestant kids used to taunt them with those songs, you know, like Catholic dog sitting on a log, I think it was, eating maggots out of a frog. There was always that sort of thing and I'd feel really, oh, this is really awful, but you wouldn't say anything because you didn't want it to happen to you as well. Catholic dog sitting on a log eating maggots out of a frog. So, yeah, it was very hard for Mum. She, um, she didn't participate that much in our schooling or anything like that. We're up to the sorrowful mysteries. Margaret, on your knees. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Mum taught us the rosary. She taught us prayers, etc. when Dad wasn't home, probably between the time the kids came home from school and Dad came home. So she was actually bringing you up as Catholics, but not to his knowledge? 
not to his knowledge, although he was intensely suspicious and probably paranoid by this stage about it. Every summer we would go back to the farm to her mum and it was the happiest I can remember seeing her. And so I believe that every time a new baby went home, mum whipped us off and had us baptised. <laughs> and my auntie, the younger one, um, she was always their godmother and she was just such a wonderful influence in our lives, although she didn't impose or anything. But she used to... After mum died... Because by then my parents were separated and she'd come and, and see us in the school ground. And suddenly we were catapulted from spending three years with Mum to being back with Dad. And he, if he was angry with us because we would need to meet on Friday, we'd be woken up and we'd have to go over the road to the Presbyterian Church, which I absolutely hated because it wasn't uplifting in any way. It was always dark and the people were always very sort of Presbyterian, you know, very severe, um, very righteous in some ways. And they're singing how great they are in this, you know, like a scratchy record. seemed to dominate his life was trying to knock the Catholicism out of us it was a dreadful sort of paranoia actually Anna wasn't the only closet Catholic around I've heard of one boy whose father only discovered he was being raised a Catholic when he wore the blazer of his Catholic school to his grandmother's funeral his Protestant father out all day at work thought he was attending the adjacent state school Louise, raised Catholic alongside her supposedly Protestant brother, only later discovered how far her mother had gone to defend the Catholic faith. My aunt on my father's side, she said that my mother had taken my brother and gone away secretly and had him baptised. And then my father found out and was just incandescent with rage. And I think that was the beginning of the end of their marriage. I think they were very, very happy up to then. Priests could be openly interventionist, even if the couple had married outside the Catholic Church, as Gwen discovered after she married Phil, a Catholic, in her Methodist church in 1949. Uh, One Saturday morning there was a knock at the door and Phil went to the door and I heard him speaking to somebody. And he introduced me to Father O'Donovan and he could have seen at that stage that I was about eight months pregnant and the priest walked straight across, still had his great big black hat on. It was like a round crown with a big black brim and Phil said to him, do you intend to stay, Father? And he said, yes, I do. And he said, well, take off your bloody hat. Because in those days... It was a very rude thing not to take your hat off when you met a woman. So he did take off his hat and he sat down, but then he proceeded to give us a sort of a lecture. I've come to see about you getting married in the parish. But, Father, we are married. Not in the eyes of the church, you aren't. In the eyes of the church, you're living in sin. (gasps) Do you want the child to be a bastard? That's enough. That didn't go down very well with me. I was a bit upset. Gwen and Phil raised their children as Protestants, a less usual outcome for a mixed marriage. Many Protestant parents assiduously nurtured their children's Catholic faith, 
even in some cases after the death of the Catholic party. Alma Douglas's mother, a fervent Anglican, took an active part in her children's Catholic upbringing. We used to have big fates in those days and my mother was forever sewing and crocheting and knitting for the nuns, for the school, for the faith, and she made sure my brothers and I attended church. When we'd go to any ceremony, I was a flower strewer in those days, you know, you'd put the rose petals out, she'd make sure your basket was always painted white and she got me fresh rose petals. In fact, I've seen her carry me up the street on her back when it was raining so my white shoes wouldn't get mucked up. very attracted to tinsel and fairy lights and things like that. So, I mean, of course, the Catholic Church gives you that in spades, really. It was the trappings, the incense. They prayed, you know, to this paper's person. The theatre of it just absolutely got right up their nose. <laughs> I loved it as a kid, loved the ritual, really believed everything. The bad stuff was... There was a terrible lot of physical discipline that I think was really shocking now when I think about it, like caning. I remember going home with welts on the back of my leg in infant school, and you think, now, people call the police. That was really out by the time I got to high school, but certainly early school. Now, girls, turn to page 17 of A Short History. Don't use your left-hand child. That's the work of the devil. The good stuff I see out of it was real sense of social conscience. I remember really interesting discussion and debates around apartheid. That whole thing about mission money, that was really big. Saving the black babies from communism and paganism. So you went home, you bought in your silver bottle tops and then we'd sew them all together into some bizarre kind of necklace thing. I don't know, this somehow, it was just a miracle this was saving (laughs) black babies. Because I remember going home asking my mother to make chocolate crackles and toffees. And I remember kind of sarcastic comments about, oh, God, oh, the black babies better be bloody happy. I wanted to go out and not making chocolate crackles to sell for them. But your mother wasn't an active Protestant, was she? Not at all. She never went to church. And that was another thing about Protestants, that they have these churches, but they just don't go. They only go when people are getting married and dying. They don't really have a faith. They kind of just went there when things were on and went home, but they didn't really connect with their religion in the way that Catholics do. Firmly I believe and truly God is Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Hast thou thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Holy Mary. For a start, none of us would miss Mass in those days. We would say the rosary together, not every night, but I'd say twice a week we'd say it as a family and my mother would be doing something else. But Dad would get the boys and myself together and we would say the rosary. I didn't know anyone who wasn't Catholic until probably I left school. So it must have been weird for you knowing your mother was a Protestant. Yeah, it was. And I remember coming back from the shops once and the nuns had told us that Protestants worshipped the Queen and that Protestants thought that the Queen was God. And this somehow got mixed into the fact that my father was a real fervent Irish Republican. 
So the British royal family was bad and English people were bad and the Protestants worshipped the Queen. Thought the Queen they thought the Queen was God and we were all like, oh. I remember coming back from the shops and sneaking my head in. I was terrified. I remember my heart was racing. It would have been about 10 or under. Sneaking up the steps and looking inside the Baptist church at the end of my street and looking in and there was a big picture of the Queen on the wall. So I knew it was true. I just felt quite peculiar walking into a Church of England and you'd see this over over the pulpit, this big eagle there. And I think, oh, I got a bit frightened there. And then when the minister, Reverend Patterson Clark, it was at the time, came out once and I was dusting the seats and he knew I was going to make my first Holy Communion. Mum must have been telling him. So I would have been seven. And um, he said, have you tasted a host yet, Alma? And I said, oh, oh no, not till the day. Well, come in, and he said, I'll let you taste one, because they gave communion, the High Church of England, and he gave me this host, and I thought I was going to die because I'd already tasted the host. And I went and told the nuns the next day, well, they went off their head. Well, they used to go around and say, who says the family rosary? And then they'd come to me and this look would come on their faces, you know, and I'd just say, no. And then they'd go, oh, you know, that sort of nunny thing. No, just talk to your father, Louise, and talk to him about God. If we don't save his soul, he'll burn in hell. He died when I was 11. It was very upsetting because I really thought he was in hell. So it was very upsetting. I didn't have nightmares, but it was just very upsetting to think that he was burning away in hell. Your daddy will burn in hell for all eternity. I mean, for someone to say, when you look back on it, to a young child, your mother's going to go to hell because she's not a Catholic. That's a terrible thing. Oh, the Catholic Church was terribly rigid and I accepted that because that was my faith. As downtrodden Irish Catholics, it was some consolation to us to know that Protestants had been sold a bomb steer. The Catholic Church, after all, was the one true church and all else was heresy, or so we thought until Vatican II introduced ecumenism in the 60s. Till then, mixed-marriage couples who married in a Protestant church were encouraged to rectify this sad state of affairs by conducting a second real marriage in a Catholic church, a process known as convalidation. Ah, the convalidation application. Sit down, Mrs Gordon. Thank you, Father. Now... Date of the attempted marriage? 10th of October, 1948. If before a heretical minister, name and location of the church and affiliation of the sect. Reverend Saunders, St. Philip's Anglican Church, Sydney. Reasons given by the Catholic party to explain the marriage outside the church? Well, John's family were Anglican. No, no, it's on the form. Was it because of ignorance or malice? We just didn't want to hurt his family's feelings. Ignorance. Good. Nearly done. 
Curiously, different religious beliefs did not seem to adversely affect a couple's relationship in a mixed marriage, in their children's eyes at least. Somehow, the parents negotiated the pointy ends of Catholic and Protestant dogma. I think after I was born, I don't think they slept together. I look back on it now, I slept with my mother every night of my life till the night before I got married. And I think that was their way of contraception. My mother made it really clear that she was having two children. That was all. Um, My father, he just went, oh, it's a woman's business. I don't want to know. And I remember her saying, well, you know, how can you not know? Because when they're going to have sex, she'd get up and she'd go and she'd get the diaphragm out of the cupboard and have to go to the bathroom and put it in. And that was his way out of it. I know nothing and I'm not doing anything. At first sight... Kimberly O'Sullivan Stewart's father ticked all the Irish Catholic boxes. One of 11 children, he played footy, voted Labour, was active in the Union and hated the monarchy. Kimberly's Protestant mother had little time for such attitudes. She saw herself and her side of the family as very Protestant and upright and hard-working and secular in their thinking and... So anything that was problematic with me or where we clashed was all because of, oh, that's the Irish Catholic craziness or the Irish Catholic blood. But when Kimberly, a librarian, researched the maternal family history, she found that her mother's treasured Protestant identity was only skin deep. Her father was from a mixed English-Irish family and he was a Catholic it goes to war, he's World War I veteran, signs up and all his stuff, religion, Roman Catholic, comes back, marries shortly after the war. On the marriage certificate says that he's of no religion and he later goes on to become a Mason, so he really renounces Catholicism. Now that was kept quite... My mother was really shocked to see that. I said, did you know Pa used to be a Catholic? She'd go, no, no, oh, no, he was very Protestant and he was in the Masons and everything. And my mother used to have a photo of my grandfather up in the house because I remember the outfit and he had the little Mason apron on. Such labels, Protestant, Catholic and Freemason, may seem unimportant these days, except to family members, but until the 1960s, they could determine your job, your prospects and other key aspects of your life. Oh yes, being Catholic in the fire brigade in those years, a chance of promotion wouldn't have been great. And even going through, my father retired in 1960, started in 1925, retired in 1960. He got up to be deputy chief, but he was blackballed quite a few times. Um, People used to vote on various things, particularly in the Masonic Lodge. You'd apparently be given a black and a white ball in your hands. No one would ever know what ball you put in, your black or white ball. And that's how it used to be a saying in the fire brigade. Oh, he's been blackballed, you know, meaning he won't go forward for promotion. I served in the New South Wales Police Force for 41 years. Uh, Very early in my service, I uh, was given the the task of inspecting schools throughout the area in which I worked, and I was requested by two different orders of nuns to inspect their uh, complexes as they were experiencing difficulties with hooligans coming in and doing damage. I had a book in which I recorded the date, time and result. I came to work one day... And on arrival, the station sergeant said to me, 
The inspector wants to see you. He then commenced the conversation by saying, You don't waste your time with these. And he had the book open at one of the Catholic schools that I had uh, visited. He got a red pen and drew a line across the page with such ferocity that he actually ripped the paper. This Catholic former police officer, call him James, witnessed systemic bias against Catholics in the New South Wales police force from the 50s to the 90s. A colleague who was a Mason told him how the recruitment system was rigged against Catholics. And when he processed miscreants and criminals, James saw how even they were used to further religious bigotry. I observed on many occasions when some of my prisoners were processed that despite the fact that they gave title to other religious denominations, they were suddenly recategorized as Catholics. I made it clear that I was not happy with this practice because Catholics would appear to be amongst the greatest offenders of the prisoners charged. That stance by me did not endear me to my superiors. And as a result, I found myself doing menial tasks. It was quite predominant then. You'd see it in ads, you know, Catholics need not apply. This had been the jobs, you know, vacancies and various things like that. I never saw it in print that Protestants need not apply. I also remember coming home when I was young, so this is kind of early 60s, and having rocks thrown at me by these awful boys and going Catholic, Catholic or something. Catholic dogs sit like frogs in and out of the water logs. And I remember holding up my suitcase and the stones kind of hitting my suitcase and coming home being really upset. And my mother saying, oh, they're just stupid boys. And my father saying, no, this is what we go through. This is the, you know oppressive thing that you go through being a Catholic. The noise of the Lambeg drums, an unmistakable sound to the people of Northern Ireland as 100,000 orange men celebrate the victory back in 1690 by the Protestant forces of King William of Orange over the Catholic King James at the Battle of the Boyne. Catholic zones sitting on rocks, eating maggots out of rock. Underneath the childish jibes lay the remnants of age-old prejudice. Irish Catholics had bitter memories of colonial oppression by the English, and neither time nor distance had obliterated their sense of injustice. They knew they'd just come through the famine. They knew that they'd been dudded well and truly in a very, very major way, and came here and found much the same sort of bigotry you found the Anglicans treating them as very definitely second-class citizens. Susan Timmins' ancestors, the O'Briens, were among the lucky ones. They did well in Australia, and by the 1920s the family ran a store in Maitland, New South Wales. Julia O'Brien, Susan's mother, was the eldest of a large family and the future looked bright, until Julia fell in love with Errol White, a Protestant. My mother's Catholic family were adamant that she should have nothing whatsoever to do with him. So what they ended up doing was they eloped. She was the eldest of 12, and the other children were forbidden to speak of her. 
Her father uh, never wanted to speak to her or see her or even hear her name again. So she did try various forms of reconciliation and they didn't actually marry until he died. Hello, Mother. I didn't expect to see you again. I heard Father is very ill. He's had the last rites. God have mercy on him. Has he asked for me? He has not. You ceased to be part of this family the day you abandoned your faith. You broke your father's heart, and mine too. Well, I know that when my grandfather was ill, my mother went to Maitland, from Sydney, went to Maitland and tried to see him. Her mother said, your father does not want to see you, he does not want you in the house, and she had to get off the veranda. From the time she left till she died, she never entered that house again. They married in Mossman in Sydney, registry office marriage. My father had become so anti-religion, and my mother died giving birth to my brother. We were in an orphanage. He came to visit us each weekend. But when I was seven or eight, I went to live with an aunt, his elderly sister. Now, she was, in fact, also quite bigoted, and so was her husband. And they were bigoted from the other side. They thought Catholics were bog Irish, is what she called. Whenever I did anything wrong, it was the bog Irish coming out in me. So when I was seven or eight, my father found somebody who was going to remarry, and to her shock and horror, another Catholic. So what she did was she convinced my father that these two little unbaptised children that she had on her hands needed to be baptised and baptised pretty quickly. So just before my father remarried, lest I become a papist child, I was welcomed into the Church of England Church. My second mother really was almost as anti-religious as my father was. She certainly got married in the Catholic Church and she even had her... I had another three brothers and sisters and they were baptised in the same St Canis's Church in Elizabeth Bay. But that was about as much as she ever did as far as religion went. I can remember a priest coming around when we were children and she hid and told us all to be quiet. And she herself was one of those that brought to my attention the need in this world to stamp out bigotry and ignorance wherever you can and overcome these things. She was a very welcoming to every one person. She hated the fact that these divisions had been set up. My second mother taught me to believe that there was good and there was bad and to do good was what it was. It was very little to do with religion. They didn't have the market cornered on goodness. To her father's dismay, Susan went on to fall in love with a Catholic. When they married in 1969, she opted for a Catholic church to please her husband's family and even converted to Catholicism. But a few years in war-torn Vietnam altered the couple's attitude to religion. I'd been married a couple of years and I thought, well, I don't really believe in all of this religion anyway, so I thought, what am I doing with it? To hell with it. So we dropped everything. We have two children, neither of them were baptised. They have remained 
very good people. They both, one's a social worker and one's a specialist nurse working with AIDS and works for MSF, Médecins Sans Frontières. So they've grown up, I think, with very decent values, all without, all to do with no God and no religion. The story wasn't quite over. Four decades after her mother's banishment from the family home in Maitland, a brother made contact with Susan's father. And my father arranged, we all went out to dinner together. Wouldn't this be a lovely bonding thing? Well, you can't take somebody who's had no contact with their mother's family for 30 or 40 years and then take you all out to dinner and expect that we would all be hunky-dory. I was hunky-dory enough than polite situation uh, until I'd had a few drinks and I suppose I then had to ask the question, just why? I said, you have to forgive me, but I'm antagonistic towards my mother's family. I don't remember any of you. I don't remember... It's all right for you to swan in from overseas and say hi to my father, but did you ever care about what happened to us children? Did you ever care what happened to us as kids? Did you ever care that my father was in such dire situation that he had to put his children into an orphanage? He described that... Sorry. God, was this ridiculous? I'm 65. <laughs> but he always described that as being the most terrible, terrible time of his life. He said it was bad enough when his wife died, but to have to put his two children in an orphanage because he couldn't support them. Uh, it was after the war. The widows were getting war widows' pensions and things, but he got nothing. My mother cried, my father too, my brothers hate the very sight of you. Your sister says, we'll banish you, we'll cut you out for what we do. You know, I spat it out then well and truly. It was like a, a therapy session at the dinner table, which was not real good, I'll tell you, in a restaurant. <laughs> and my father was as shocked as anybody. So was my husband. Um, I had a child myself at this stage, and I, I couldn't then believe that anyone would just wipe children so easily. But they did. By the time I came here in the 80s, Australia was multicultural and there were laws against racial and religious discrimination. I worked and mingled with people of over 60 ethnic backgrounds and reveled in the diversity. It was like travelling while staying in one place. With some shock, I realised that to a Vietnamese or an Indian Australian, I was classified under Anglo. Now, Anglo-Celtic has become shorthand to describe non-Indigenous Australia before the 1950s. The implication is that this English-speaking stock represents the establishment, a polite way of saying white Australia. But if Irish Catholics are respectable at last, a new other will always be copping the flack. It was almost inevitable that there was going to be trouble at Cronulla, 
we come here and we just get run over by Lebanese and wogs and shit. Yeah, I got beaten up. I got um, beer bottles smashed on my head. They tried to stab me in the neck. I see it so often now when you hear people ranting and raving about other religions, mostly Muslims, and I, I liken it to what my family went through. I think religion paid a big part in our history, but I think it made our nation strong because people had to fight for things and their beliefs. It happened within our family, even with all the conflict. It did make you question, and you accepted that we were all people. I left the Catholic Church very easily with no guilt. But I do have to emphasise that my mother's mixed marriage did make me very unhappy because it obviously ruined their marriage. And although they sort of gave this semblance of being a happy couple, I think, you know, behind it all, they were both very unhappy. I've been back to his grave. I've talked to him there, the old grandfather. I weeded his grave, and as I was weeding his grave, I was telling him what a rotten old bastard I thought he was. But, you know, you've got to forgive him, it was the times. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.